I'd like to thank KTMS 990 and Montecito Bank and Trust for making Scam Squad possible. I'm Patty Teal. And I'm Deputy District Attorney Vicki Johnson. Scam Squad is up next. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. One, two, three, four. Scam Squad. Welcome to Scan Squad. I'm your host, Patty Teal, here as always with Deputy District Attorney Vicki Johnson, and we have one of our favorite expert contributors here with us today. We do, Patty. I'd like to welcome back criminologist Judy Chrisman Yates, who is the editor of this wonderful financial exploitation newsletter. I should say editor and author of the newsletter. And reading through her August newsletter, I came upon many different articles that I would like to share with our listeners, but I've picked just a couple for today. The first article really caught my eye because it says FTC takes action against Publishers Clearinghouse for misleading consumers about sweepstakes entries. This disturbed me because I have always told our listeners and people that I give presentations to that the one legitimate sweepstakes that they can count on is Publishers Clearinghouse. What is Publishers Clearinghouse exactly and is it legitimate? Yes, Publishers Clearinghouse is legitimate. It's been around since 1967. It's a direct mailing company that markets merchandise and magazine subscriptions. Simply put, it's legitimate, but it is sketchy. Sketchy? (laughs) (laughs) How is it sketchy? Please give us some examples of what you mean. Well, it turns out that even before internet, PCH used to mail out all these envelopes just packed full of advertising and offering all these games. And the emphasis has always been on the games and the prizes. So they spend a tremendous amount of money in trying to get you to sign up and give you the illusion that if you buy more or you buy additional subscriptions, you have a better chance at winning money, which makes some people actually buy more. I had an aunt that 20 years ago invested $7,000 in magazines. So the positive factors about the Clearinghouse is they have daily sweepstakes. It's really a friendly service. Of course, it would be. And it is free to enter. Some of the things that are negative, a huge overload of marketing and countless communications and junk mail, and the chances of winning prizes are very slim odds. Well, what exactly are the odds? What kind of odds are we talking about here? Well, it's best if I give you an example first. So the odds of winning the California jackpot for the Powerball lottery, one chance in 292 million. The odds of winning 7,000 for a week in Publishers Clearinghouse are said to be one in hundreds of millions. And some people say less than one in one billion. And remember, one billion is 1,000 million. That's pretty slim pickings. Absolutely. And what kinds of things were they doing that caught the eye of the Federal Trade Commission now? The Federal Trade Commission has issued a lawsuit. And the charges include failing to disclose true price of goods, deceiving consumers about no-risk purchases, using misleading email subjects, having misleading statements in the privacy policy. Some of the examples are, they say that shipping's free. It's not free. If you have to mail something back, you have to pay money. There are a lot of times they're adding 40% to the customer orders. There are all kinds of things that are misleading, and it's really very confusing. 
And it also implied that you had to, your chances of winning would be better if you purchased something. It did indicate that. And by the way, in the United States, it's illegal to require somebody to purchase or to send money, to pay money, to win anything. It's always illegal. So that is the first red flag. Absolutely. And when I go out and talk to people about sweepstakes and lottery, one of the first things I say is that you know it's not a legitimate sweepstakes or lottery if you are required to pay a fee, even a small fee, to play or purchase something to play. And apparently, according to this article, Publishers Clearinghouse was indicating that you had better chances if you made a purchase. So like you say, that's illegal. And I can understand why the Federal Trade Commission is taking action against Publishers Clearinghouse. And apparently, the Federal Trade Commission says that Publishers Clearinghouse used language and designs on its website and in its email marketing that tricked consumers, including many older adults, into believing that they had to buy things on Publishers Clearinghouse website to even enter a sweepstakes, or that doing so would improve their chances of winning a prize. So based on these violations and other things that were very misleading, the Federal Trade Commission took action against the company. And apparently they got a settlement for $18.5 million, which they will return to consumers who spent time and money trying to enter Publishers Clearinghouse and were misled by some of these statements. What else did they require Publishers Clearinghouse to do? Well, first, if you think that you might be getting money back, because not everyone is going to get money back, but go to ftc.gov and look up Publishers Clearinghouse refunds. It's just that simple. And you'll be able to see the exact lawsuit. But in addition to the $18.5 million, they are, have been told to stop deceiving customers about purchases and sweepstakes to separate sweepstakes from sales, to make clear disclosures, stop the surprise fees, stop deceptive emails. And it turns out that uh, they're required to delete all consumer data that was collected prior to January 1st of uh, 2019, prohibit them from misrepresenting the extent to which PCH collects and shares consumer data. Also, they're required to preserve records Believe me, they collected a lot of records. They did analysis on all types of behavior that they gathered. So this is a huge hit and definitely an appropriate one, I think, to PCH. Well, thank goodness for the Federal Trade Commission and all of the good work that they do. But Judy, as if it isn't enough that a legitimate company or a supposed legitimate company is taking advantage of consumers, we know that scammers are always also using Publishers Clearinghouse for scamming. That's true. And you hear a lot of, about that on Scam Squad. And it's just the simple process of using PCH and for a scammer to represent themselves as that. So, you know, they do that with a lot of companies. Uh, people are getting texts and, and phone calls and going, you have won the big prize and we want to come out to your place and film it. So if you're familiar with PCH, once a year, they have this big grand prize and they show up with balloons and a TV crew. Well, it turns out PCH will never, ever call you. They actually don't tell anybody in the neighborhood about that. They will go and try to find out where you are. They've spent, that right? Yeah, they've actually spent a weekend waiting for somebody to show back up from a camping trip. 
So nobody's going to call and let you know. Think mm-hmm. about it. The UCH, what they want is the publicity. They want you to be surprised. So they show up with that giant cardboard check that you're going to get and um, balloons and their crew. Well, I also know that scammers will use letters with the logo of Publishers Clearinghouse. So you actually think that you are dealing with a legitimate Publishers Clearinghouse when you get this solicitation because it looks just like the Publishers Clearinghouse PCH logo. Leave it to scammers. They're always up to something and they will take advantage of any opportunity that they have to trick us. If you're considering participating in a sweepstakes contest, what is it that you should know so you you don't get scammed? Well, just remember that it's illegal to be asked for money. So, you know, that's straight out. And also check the URL or the web address. So scammers like to take the real thing and make the address just change just a little bit. They might put in a dot, they might put in a different city, you know, whatever it is, just so that the email will then come back to them rather than to the legitimate site. Once you click on that particular site, anytime you get emotional about what you're doing, you know, you're excited or, you know, whether it's positive or negative, I want you to stop. I want you to get up and walk around your computer. I want you to call somebody, somebody you know in person, not somebody you met online that you've never seen but somebody you know in person and you trust. And then listen to yourself when you're telling them out loud what kind of great deal that you've got going. Make a list of pros and cons, but stop and think. Don't let your emotions result in bad decisions. Just use logical reasoning, research it, confer with people that you know in person and trust. Judy, very, very good advice, especially the advice about talking to somebody that you trust and hearing yourself say out loud what it is that you're considering doing and what the solicitation was. You know, sometimes if you do that, you can go, oh, wait a minute, I'm seeing some red flags there. So that brings up the issue of imposter websites. And I was just reading an article, thousands of imposter websites discovered mimicking top brands to steal your banking info. And some of the brands they listed were big brands, Nike, Adidas, Puma, Skechers, Reebok, New Balance, a lot of uh, shoe brands, Kate Spade. So how do scammers disguise their websites to look similar to a company's actual website? Well, a good example is one that is listed for uh, Puma shoes. But what a scammer did was they added Puma and put a hyphen and put Italia, I-T-A-L-I-A dot com. And they were trying to fool people into thinking that there were designs specific to Italian products Mm -hmm. and that they could just go ahead and click on that link and they would be taken to that site. So it's really easy for scammers to be creative and use an address that looks like something something that it's not. And you're right, it's happening to all the big companies. Let's face it, the scammers want money. So the more out there information is, sites are the more popular, the higher end, then scammers like to look like them. How does the scam work once someone clicks on a lookalike, also called an imposter website? Basically, the scammer's tricking you into buying something. So you click and now you are in contact with the scammer, no longer the legitimate company. So you may never receive any item from there. You know, you may have bought, purchased something, 
but you may never receive it. Or you might receive a knockoff uh, brand. But the big thing is they have your credit card information, mm-hmm. your name, your shipping address, and your email address. It's really scary that they've got all your personal information. Once they have your personal information, what do they do with it? They're likely to start buying things immediately with your credit card before you find out that you've lost anything. You're at home. You think you're going to be getting some package in the mail. They're out using your personal information. They're buying all kinds of merchandise with your credit card. Or even worse, they may take that information and create more accounts in your name. That's identity theft as we know it. Judy, this scamming technique has been around for a long time. Why? Why is this scam continuing? Well, it's really interesting. It used to be, I'm old enough to have gotten to go and do searches in the beginning, and all the right stuff came up first, and you got to just pick and choose. Mm -hmm. Now you have to go through what are called sponsored or ad, AD. Once again, not sponsored. That means somebody's paying for those. And then there are algorithms that are used by search engines that actually categorize them based on how long they've been in service, how many hits they get, how many people are going to that site. Well, scammers have wised up, and it turns out they create these fake websites, and they're sitting on them for one, two, three years before they start using them. So what happens is, finally, when they put them out there and publish them, then it looks like those websites have been, you know, around for quite some time. You know, in fact, they have it, they're new domains, but it's called domain aging or, you know, it's really hard for us to all keep up on all that information. That's why you have to be very, very careful. You know, when somebody is paying to be on the top, you know, they're taking out the ads, so they're listed as an ad, and it, it turns out that they're bad, they're a phony, you know, they're an imposter site. Does Google take them down? Sure, once they know. So, Judy, what can consumers do to protect themselves from these fake sites? Well, some of the red flags are beware of big discounts. You know, it's the old saying, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Um, And so let's just say that you have this big discount from this one website. Well, do a separate search and look at other websites and see what they're selling things for. Another thing is take that domain name, that URL, that address, and just type that into a search engine and see what comes up. Because if it's a scammer site, Typically, people have already found that out and are writing notices to let us know that that is a problem. Another one is if you're using HTTPS, what that means is that site is using encryption. So legitimate sites use encryption, but it's important to know that encryption is only once you are on that site. So it doesn't protect you from all the other outside stuff. What does it mean encrypted? It means that nobody can read it without a special program to unscramble it. And then uh, the last thing, and this is always important, but keep anti-cyber software, keep it current, and you have to keep it on. Don't buy it and turn it off. So another article in the newsletter was about, it was titled, Why the Police Won't Investigate Your Lost or Stolen Crypto. So we know that cryptocurrency is a very complicated topic. And do you believe that this is an accurate statement, that the police won't investigate lost or stolen crypto? Well, yes, we know that cryptocurrency is very complex. 
And it's changing what seems like every single minute. I have found personally in dealing with victims and a lot of the research, it is true. Countless victims say that they go to the police department and the officer says, oh, sorry, can't do anything about that uh, to get your money back. So that perception is definitely out there. Cryptocurrency is traditional money, but it works very differently. And we're really not up to speed on that. So traditional money works one way. Cryptocurrency works very, very different. It is actually virtual. There is nothing that you can hold in your hand. It's all out there in cyberspace. So it's it's a challenge. Is that one of the reasons that law enforcement has difficulty getting back money when it involves cryptocurrency? Are, are there other reasons or is that pretty much it? There are so many things. The time involved, the knowledge of the different aspects, understanding the laws. Now there are well over 20,000 cryptocurrencies. I mean, it just goes on and on. Knowing the definitions, another thing that is perplexing is things like wallet. I know a wallet where I take it out of my purse or my pocket and I can see my money. Wallets, there's now called a hot wallet, that's online. There's a cold wallet, that's where you take your cryptocurrency offline. Bottom line, it's all in a virtual world. Another problem is knowing who are the experts, what's the cost of training, what legal aspects surround this, what are the laws? How do you get a search warrant? How do you get somebody on a jury? You know, juries are supposed to be your peers. Do you have a peer that you would like to be on a cryptocurrency case of yours? And what's the liability of having cryptocurrency and evidence? It turns out, what if the cryptocurrency goes up or down? So there are liabilities that we haven't looked at. The global aspects and the jurisdictional problems Actually, an officer's job is to find documented evidence of a crime and arrest one or more people and provide that documented evidence for prosecution. It turns out that police are really, really busy handling violent crimes. And of course, that's always their priority. And I have to tell you, financial uh, fraud is not and never has been considered a violent crime. I know people that would disagree with that because we have all kinds of problems that develop. Bottom line is financial crime is not a violent crime. It's a little bit more low priority, perhaps, in terms of the manpower that they're going to put into it. I get called in periodically when they have uh, like a briefcase. They find a briefcase or a backpack where somebody has stolen the mail. And it may involve cryptocurrency. It may not. It may have credit cards, all kinds of stuff. Typically, a half of a backpack can take me up to 14 hours to take pictures of photos of it, put it into evidence, and then do spreadsheets to figure out who lost that, you know, who does the card belong to, what agency does it belong to, or what company, what bank, all of this information. And that's 14 hours, and we don't even know if there's a crime yet. The officer needs to take a look at that. So it is so labor intensive and costly. Our police departments just don't have that. And I also know that they aren't very well versed in cryptocurrency crimes and they don't have the personnel to tackle them. But there are a couple of departments in California. I believe Santa Clara is one where they have specialized personnel where they actually can investigate these cases and sometimes be successful in recovering the funds that were lost. But it is a long shot. It is very time consuming. In this one article that you cite, the FBI in November of 2022 seized over 50 thousand Bitcoin, but it took over a decade for the stolen funds to be identified and recovered by authorities. 
and they consider this a successful investigation, which it was, but it took over a decade to accomplish it. So it's a very, very tricky area uh, of the law. So Judy, what do you think is the most important thing that we should know if somebody wants to invest in cryptocurrency? Well, I think that you need to think of cryptocurrency as the Wild West, and that absolutely everyone is speaking in a different language, in a foreign language, with different definitions. The old uh, familiar terms now have different definitions. So what you need to know is never, ever spend money you can't afford to lose. Know that you may never, ever understand what happened to your money. If you're lucky to make money, awesome. I personally think cryptocurrency is here to stay. I just don't know which one. And I don't know what the laws are surrounding that. It's just the way of the future. And what I find is not understanding or getting justice when you feel wronged typically has a negative impact on your mental well-being as well as your physical well-being. So before you ever consider getting involved in crypto, do an endless amount of homework. And as always, buyer beware. Absolutely. Well, once again, Judy, thank you so much for coming on Scam Squad and giving us all of this valuable information. Lots to think about here. Lots of things to be careful about. Gee, this was an excellent show. We so appreciate it. And if you're listening on a podcast, be sure to subscribe. And if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of these important warnings. Take care, everybody.